Today on the Illini Enquirer podcast, Michael Tulip in bulk. I hope you like basketball talk because that's what we did for more than an hour today. It's Thursday, February 10th. Welcome into the Illini Enquirer podcast. I'm Jeremy Warner, Illini Enquirer publisher, and we get a little NBA trade deadline talk in here at the end. So if you want thoughts uh, on the NBA and, and why Mike and I are NBA fans and college fans, but why we really appreciate the NBA, uh, we talk about that towards the end, but we get right to talk about your Illini. We have a little talk about Purdue because Purdue's very good. Jaden Ivey's very good. So we talk a little bit about those things because that's what happened to Illinois on Tuesday night was Purdue and Jaden Ivey happened. So we talk about that game, what Illinois can learn from it, what these games against top five opponents and losses to top five opponents tell us about Illinois, uh, where they struggle a little bit, but also why this team's still very good and why they could continue to get better. A lot of talk about Andre Curbelo and his role on this team as, as he kind of figures out his role identification and the team around him does as well. And the guy, Michael Tulip, is buying more stock in than even Illini fans. So he gives a really good breakdown of that and why he's so high on this freshman's future. So we're getting all of that with Michael Tulip, a bunch of basketball talk and boy is is it always fun with michael Tulip. also we did a vip film room so if you're not a vip member uh get that because michael Tulip's film breakdowns are so good and he breaks down the defense against purdue what issues illinois had and just where you got to tip your cap to purdue uh and especially Jaden ivy at certain points of that and he, he broke down some of the great actions that matt painter sets up for his team and and uh, when you got the personnel, why the personnel matters so much in that. So uh, Mike teaches me so much about basketball in these VIP film rooms. Uh, and I think for anybody who watches these, they would tell you the same. So if you're not a VIP member, just $1 for VIP membership for your first month. Check it out. I think you'll like Michael Tulip's um, film breakdowns enough that you think it'll be worth the price moving forward. So without further ado, let's talk some basketball with Michael Tulip first. Illinois and Purdue, and then we'll talk a little NBA trade deadline as well. That's coming up next on the Illini Enquirer podcast. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. It's time to welcome in Michael Tua for our weekly chat here on the Illini Enquirer podcast, talking some Illini hoops. And first time in a while, Mike, we got to talk about a loss and a blowout loss at that as Illinois was 84-68 at number three, Purdue. So many things to talk about from this one. Now the Big Ten race uh, is a three-way tie with Ohio State falling at Rutgers. Really feels like it's a three-team race heading down the stretch can't count out Ohio State or Michigan State completely, uh, but the way Purdue played the other night doesn't feel like they're going to lose many games here uh, coming up. So just your overall take. I mean, let's start with Purdue, right? Like they were one of the Big Ten favorites. I know you and I were debating whether Illinois or Purdue would be the team to win the Big Ten before the season. Um, Man, they got Illinois' number, right? Like why do you think Purdue has been so tough for not just everyone, but for Illinois, who I think is probably the second best team in the Big Ten? I think Illinois actually matches up well with, or I guess Illinois matches up well with Purdue in terms of the teams that Purdue faces. But at the same time, I, I, I still think it's a bad matchup for Illinois just because if it's going to come down to rebounding, Purdue's got the size, right? And, and, and I'll say this too. I mean, we could dance around it and get super granular and I could present you with some sort of like laundry list of reasons why Illinois lost that game or why they don't match up with with Purdue very well but you know the fact of the matter is Purdue's the best offense in the country period they just are and it doesn't matter if you're Illinois or any other team in the Big Ten that's going to present challenges and when you factor their personnel in with even a guy like Matt Painter who I I think and I've been saying this for a while I think he's one of the best in college basketball at you know out of timeout just their structure and the way that they run certain three things in their actions that they run. Um, you know, was were the Illini mistake free in that game? No, but you gotta be you gotta be near perfect defensively. Um, and you have to make shots. And for a lot of teams that's hard to do. And you saw it just like Illinois does at times where there's certain games where they have these lulls 
And then in five minutes, they blow the game open and it's over. They've done that this year. Purdue's, this, Purdue's the exact same way. And they're the number one offensive team in the country, efficiency-wise, but even just eyeball-wise. I mean, watch them. You, every guy they put on the floor, th- this is the thing that blows my mind about Purdue. Every single guy, every single guy, with the exception of Brandon Newman, who really isn't playing lately, um, every single guy they put on that floor can shoot it, with the exception of two guys. One is one of the best low post threats in all of college basketball. And the other one is probably the best passing big in all of college basketball. And even he's shooting four for 10, 40%. They have seven guys on their team, seven that are shooting over 40%. And, and really when you break it down, it's every single guy that plays. Every single guy that plays and what that does for Jaden Ivey and what that does for Edie and what that, it's the reason why, okay, should we double all these guys shoot the lights out? But part of it works, you know, it, it's, you know, is it the chicken or the egg? Because a lot of that is because of the personnel. And that's, that's how I always say it's the beauty of basketball. It's the sum of the parts at times. And it reminds me a lot, you know, their shooting in particular reminds me a lot of the 2015-2016 Indiana team. Um, you know, Yogi shot it well. Rob Johnson shot it well. James Blackman shot it well. Nick Zysoff shot it well. Um, you know, and then, like, guys like Max Biefeld, right? You know, all these different guys come in. And I think they had five, six, maybe seven guys that shot over 40%, and they won the Big Ten, right? And I know they went down to North Carolina in the tournament, but this Purdue team, man, their offense, and it's not only just what they run or how they run it, it's the pieces. And no other team in college basketball. You know, Illinois is close to that in terms of the offensive personnel that they can put out there and how they hurt you in a lot of different ways. But right now, Illinois doesn't have a top-five pick. Yeah. You know, you know when, like, all – you know, when all else fails, we got this guy in transition, you know, and it's, it's tough to beat, man. And, and you, you really like, you played great in the first half. You take a two point lead. They're that type of team where in five minutes they can blow it open. That's exactly what happened. Where would you rank Jaden Ivy in your draft prospects? I think I, I take him over Matherin. I take him over Johnny Davis. Definitely take him over Keegan Murray. Um, Ty Ty. I haven't seen enough of, but, um, I, I think I would take Jaden. I, I know there's there's things that bother me. I was watching him in the first half, and like he, he wasn't interested in defense. I think he will get interested in defense at the next level, at least enough, because he should be good. He should be really good on the defensive end. But, boy, there's an explosiveness, um, just athleticism, speed, and then that size, and he's a good shooter. Um, so I, I think he'd probably be the top guard in the draft, right? I, I agree. I think right now, and I saw some people the other day, you know, maybe it was it was Chad Ford mentioning, "Hey, he's in the running now for the number one pick." That's Chet Holmgren, and in, in my opinion, um, people. Have, I know he's out in Spokane and Gonzaga. As good as they are, they still don't really get a ton of national love. What, what Chet Holmgren's doing has, has literally never been done in college basketball ever. Um, at his size, over sixty percent, over forty from three, three and a half blocks a game. No one's ever done it, and so I think he's he's. He would be not my number one pick. I know Jabari Smith's going to be up there as well. But from a sheer guard standpoint, and honestly, probably a lot of what John Morant's doing this year is going to help Jaden Ivey uh, in a lot of ways. You watch him, you say, man, electric in transition. Uh, he's a better shooter than Ja was in college. Uh, you know, right now he's, he's shooting whatever he is, 42 43% from three. And I think that was initially the knock on Io as well because they were both end-to-end, you know, two of, the fa- two of the quicker players in college basketball. But I think the thing that separates Ivey and – I'll be honest, like a month ago, I, you asked me that question. I, I wouldn't have been sure if he was the first guard taken because I think with him, what's frustrated me with as explosive of an athlete as he is, he ends up on the ground all the time. Yeah. Like, he, you know, he's always driving and ends up on the ground. I think he, you know, it stops him from being able to finish at a very, very high level, which I know he can do. Um, and the other thing, too, I think when you look at him, you know, he, he's 6'5", 200 pounds, and he kind of has all the makings where, yes, great in transition – uh, is a great kind of spot shooter and a shot clock type shooter. I think he can be a really, really high level defender at the next level. I really do. He has all the tools. He has the quickness. He has the hands. He has the length. He has all of that. So I think if you're an NBA team, you not only look and say, hey, we love what he has on the offensive end, but hey, if we can bring him in and, and even on a team that may have a couple guys that you go to offensively, because that's the NBA. It just is. You know, no matter, team, no matter what team you go to, even if it's the 28th team in the league, they're going to have a guy that can put the ball in the basket. So if you can do these other things, i.e. Io DeSumo, and prove your worth, I know Jaden's going to go a lot higher than Io did, but, man, you could argue that next year Jaden Ivey would be playing, playing similar minutes that Io's playing right now. 
which is crazy to think about. But that's the NBA. You find your role, right? Okay, if you don't want to guard, I don't know, man. We got other guys <laughs> that can score. So, you know, his electricity and transition, we, we mentioned it. I know I've, I've talked about it at nauseum even probably in the last two and a half minutes. But, yeah, I, he's, he would be my top guard right now. I really like Matherin. Um, you know, Ty Ty Washington's kind of, kind of slipped a little bit. Um, but, but I think that at the end of the day, he's got, he'll be a top three pick in, in my opinion. Um, ben Carroll's going to be up there as well. Uh, so really in that kind of in my three, four, five range, I, I don't see him slipping past six or seven. I, I totally agree with you about Chet, by the way. Um, anyway, watching Evan Mobley, I think he's going to have a, a similar impact and, and it could be better offensively. So I, I know you get scared because he's so skinny. Um, Kevin Durant's really skinny. <laughs> he he finds a way to add that man strength, and uh, I think he'll be uh, he'll be just fine. I think he just makes such an impact on every level of basketball um, oh, that I, I, that you can't pass on him. And I'll say this about Chet. You know, I know this is a lot of NBA draft talk, but I, people wanted. It was I watched him in high school, and it was he's the next Kevin Durant. I'm sorry. There there's one Kevin Durant. Yeah. Okay, there just there just is, and and it's the reason why he's the best player in basketball. The way I look at Chet Holmgren is like almost a better version of Kristaps Porzingis, which is, you know, which really in reality, the way he can step out, the way he can protect the rim, that's saying a lot. I mean, Kristaps Porzingis, you know, at one point before he's kind of had this litany of injuries, um, you know, was a guy that you were holding in pretty high regard throughout the league. So, you know, that's not <laughs> – that's that should be pretty high praise for a guy like Chet. Yeah. If that's kind of his floor is, is Porzingis, and you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That's a pretty good comp. All right, yeah, let's focus on Illinois. People are like, why are you guys talking about this? <laughs> I find it interesting. Uh, Purdue's yeah. really good, really, really good. I still think Illinois is a very, very good team, Mike, um, but obviously they've played top five opponents three times. Uh, at home, able to push Arizona to the brink, push P- Purdue into double overtime, not able to beat Purdue. Do they have that gear? Do, do you think they have that gear uh, and, and it might bring making too big of an example of that because if they make some shots, some open shots, it's a much closer game. But I, I just, you know, Purdue and Arizona are two of the top five teams in the country. I don't think Illinois is that, and, and that's okay. You can still win a Big Ten championship share. You can still make a Final Four with the right matchups, getting hot at the right time. Uh, it just I, there's better teams than you. It, it looks like with Arizona and Purdue right now. Yeah, and I think if you structure it right now, and I don't, I don't know what Lenardi's last bracketology was. But yeah, I mean, I think Illinois is right there, three four seed probably right now. And, and honestly, that's a, those are that's a pretty darn good three four seed. Um, you know, so so I know it's really like Twitter was morbid after that, after <laughs> no. literally a loss, a loss to. And I I get the way it happened; it just kind of turned into a beating. But it's probably how Wisconsin fans felt. That's probably how Michigan State fans felt probably towards the end of that, where you think you're going to come in, Kofi's out, and you're going to win the game, and you don't. Um, but, you know, I, I think this Illinois team, they still have – still trying to round into form a little bit. And, and I remember I said it however many podcasts ago. If you told me that Kofi was out, you told me Corbello was out, you told me Trent Frazier was out, I still think that the one that hurts you the most – and I know Kofi played well and you probably need him against Edie um, and, and Travion Williams. But Trent Frazier, and, you know, if he doesn't play well, it's really hard for this team to hit their ceiling. He, he offers – more than enough defensively but offensively you know he just didn't have it going and those ha- that, those types of things happen it's you know it's college basketball and these are these guys are human um and it would be really hard to get on Trent about that after all he's really given to this team but you saw Kansas City and how out of sorts his team looked um when he was struggling I mean it just it just looks different just a reminder to people back-to-back zero-point games in Kansas City. So we can talk about, you know, Curbelo coming back. Did he help the team, whatever? Um, he had two points against Purdue the other day. He had zero in those those two games in Kansas City. I agree with you, Mike. Like, he has to be good um, for this team to be good just because, I mean, he's a very, very good player, and Curbelo can help you overcome those things. But um, it's kind of interesting. The nights they've struggled, I, I don't think it's coincidence that, you know, he has struggled. Trent Frazier has. Yeah, and, and I'll mention this about Trent. I, and I said it before the game. It is. It's just you go on the road, you're playing a top-five team and two really good college basketball teams like this. Great players, they just they need to be great. And, and if they aren't, then it makes it that much harder for your team to try to win the game. I mean, go back and look at Purdue's three losses this year. If you want to talk about how to beat Purdue, right, two of those losses were on the road, right? Rutgers, um, you know, uh, Rutgers and, uh, I guess, Indiana would be the last one. 
Finnessy plays over his head, right? He scores 20 points, and uh, they didn't shoot it particularly well. Indiana didn't, but home court, right? Assembly Hall, one of the toughest places to play in the country. Uh, you know, Illinois almost had them at home. Uh, Rutgers hits a half-court shot to beat them. Rutgers was a little bit, uh, you know, efficient, seven for 14 from three, uh, but that's not really what they do. But when you're on the road, when you're in Mackey, if you want to win that game, odds are, most times, you need to have someone go nuclear. It just, it just is. If all things are even, and that's exactly what Johnny Davis did. Right, you know, Johnny Davis goes out there and puts up 37 and 14. And it was a comment I made before the Purdue game and after the Wisconsin game. Did Wisconsin play particularly well that game? They didn't shoot it particularly well. I mean, they didn't do they got out rebounded by they got out rebounded by Purdue. It was Johnny Davis. Like I mean, he just literally took over the game, and that's what can happen. And that's why I truly think that if you're in this game, Corbello, I thought he was solid. Um, Kofi was solid. And if you have if Trent has one of those Trent games where he goes on a flurry, gets on his heaters like we talk about. I really think I think Illinois can come out of that game and win it, but it's hard too. You know, we'll go, we'll break it down in the film, and a lot of it's how they structure their offense. And there were some mistakes on Illinois' end, but the offense is structured so that you do make those mistakes. So yeah, I mean, I, I think for a guy like Trent, you know, it, he's frustrated, right? You know, you want to come in there and play well, and then you get you get dinged up, and I know that that hurts. That hurts. I mean, you get need right, you know, by a Jaden Ivey coming full speed off a ball screen, right where he got need. Man, I can't believe he came back. School, in the, I can't believe he came back in the game. Like I, I, I text you. I said I cannot believe he's in this game right now. And 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 it's gonna be one where I'm sure he woke up the next morning and was like, oh my god, he probably can't even believe why how he was back in the game. But you know, I, I mean, hopefully this this isn't one that lingers. It's 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 a bone bruise. It's you know, right after he had that in, in Kansas City, I remember texting you, and obviously I'm no doctor, uh, but that's that's what it looked like, and he came back. And so you don't want it to linger, and typically those bone bruises heal a little bit quicker than something that's more structural. So um, so he'll be back. I, I would be shocked if he's not on the floor against against Northwestern on Sunday, and they need him because Northwestern's starting to, starting to roll a little bit here. Yeah, uh, I, I do want to even this out. Like Trent against Arizona – was the reason you were in that game right yeah. at 27 Marquette he was the reason you're in that game at 23 so he, he's not he didn't always have bad games in their losses so I just want to even that out but um you know to beat a Purdue team I, I think you have to have Trent Frazier play pretty well um rebounding has become a little bit of an issue Mike uh Kofi does his job right like he he led this game I believe uh, for Illinois and in rebounding, but I think they've been out rebounded. I'll have to look this up, but they, they've been out rebounded, I think, since January 1st uh, in Big Ten games. So I'll look this number up. But Brad Underwood said we've gotten soft in rebounding, but they're also just playing small, right? DeMonte a lot at the four. How big of a concern is that, or is that just Purdue being good on the glass, but Indiana out rebounded them, I believe? So what, what, how big of an issue is that for you? It's an issue. Um, you know, anytime a team like Purdue and you give them second chances and I know they had 11 in the game but it felt like every time they got it you know Trevion Williams misses the free throw and ball gets pinballed around gets two more makes both of those missed the previous two you know ball gets bad around Caleb first hits a three uh you know it's when you have the teams like this when you give them back when you give them more chances on the offensive glass especially the number one offense in the country they're going to make you pay. So, yeah, I do believe it's an issue. Is it going to be an issue against certain teams in the Big Ten? Probably not. But if you want to achieve what you want to achieve and you want to win games in March and win the Big Ten tournament, then it has to get rectified. And, and I'm looking specifically, and I know, I, Jacob Grandison, he's, he's typically given up some size. and um, you know, But Trent can't come out of that game 33 minutes, one, one rebound. Plummer can't have, just can't have zero rebounds in 32 minutes. And Grandison, two rebounds. And the, the amazing thing when you go back and when you watch the film, there are two. And, and, and if this is, if the defensive rebounding is something that, I, that Brad Underwood wants to address, there are going to be two guys that you see playing a little bit more on this team who are great defensive rebounders. And it's RJ Melendez and Benjamin Bossman's Redonk. I thought Bossman's Redonk, and we can go off on a tangent there. I'll stick with the rebounding. I thought he was tremendous. I, do too. I, I know he, I know he missed a bunny around the rim, but Kept the ball alive. Plummer hits a three. Ripping balls out of guys' hands on the defensive glass. Great in the gaps when Jaden Ivey's trying to get downhill. I thought he was outstanding. I know he played six minutes in the game. I think that's going to go up, and I think same goes for RJ Melendez. Can, can I give Omar Payne some love, too? Three rebounds in five minutes? Like, I, I thought, 
when he he and Bossman's came to the game in the first half, they battled, man. Like they are frustrating offensively, right? Both of them are frustrating offensively, but their job is is to play defense and get some rebounds. They had six between the two uh, in eleven minutes. It is six of the last seven games they have been out rebounded uh, all against Big Ten opponents. They beat Michigan by one. They beat Northwestern by six during this stretch. Northwestern's a team you have to out rebound uh, coming up here on on Sunday. But going back to Nebraska, they out rebounded them by eleven. Maryland which is a, a big team. They out-rebounded by 18 uh, when Maryland came here. Minnesota by 26. Missouri by 12, right? Um, Rutgers by 14. Iowa by 29, Mike. So, like, that's 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 interesting how it's declined. I know these are better teams, but it, it also feels like it's on Illinois a little bit. Yeah, and, and I think, you look, you got a guy like R.J. Melendez who his confidence, you can see it's it's growing. Continuing. I mean, he and and I. There was a point at the end of the game where you talk about missing shots, you know, and guys kind of not stepping confidently into shots. I thought in that second half, RJ Melendez hit that shot right in front of the bench for three towards the end of the game. And I don't know what Brad Underwood said when he turned around and looked at the bench, but I would imagine it's something along the lines of, "That's how you step in to a shot confidently and knock it down." I mean, that that's what that looked like. And, and look, the defensive rebounding. The, the beauty of this Illinois team and the reason why they can go 11 deep at times and kind of just have the luxury of saying, who's got it going this game, right? Like who's going to be great in the first couple of minutes so we can ride with you for the rest of the game. And, and you know, I, I think those two guys in particular, when you're struggling to rebound with, Christopher Singh just got traded by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you're, when you're struggling to rebound, right? And you look at your starting five in particular and you say, okay, man, how can we fix this? A lot of teams don't have the the luxury to go into their depth to find defensive rebounding help. And and that's what Illinois can do. I'm not saying RJ Melendez is gonna play 30 minutes, and I'm certainly not saying Benjamin Boston Sudonk is gonna play 25, but he's gonna be able to spell Kofi. Okay, and, and there's going to be times, depending on the matchups, where Benjamin Bossman's Verdonk can play the four a little bit, right? Can play alongside Kofi because of his passing, because he's not a net negative offensively, and, and he can help. Kofi typically is wrestling with whoever the bigger guy on the other team is. So it may not be him getting the rebound, but if you can have somebody else come in there, track it down and get the ball, those two valuable players, if you're looking to fix that. Okay. Now what Bosnes or Donk brings offensively, who knows, but he's not a complete zero on that end. He's not, he's proven that he's not. And RJ Melendez certainly isn't. So those, those minutes are going to come from somewhere and I'm excited to see them kind of fix that because they have the pieces to do it. All right, Mike, um, I want to get to your, your thoughts on this crazy NBA trade deadline at the end of this, by the way. Um, nice that you mentioned Chris Stops, and now he gets traded to the Washington Wizards of all places. So uh, it's amazing how far he has fallen there. Um, all right, Andre Curbelo comes into the game, gives you an offensive boost when, when you needed one. He's done that. You know, He did that against Wisconsin in, in the first half, helped give you an offensive boost. What have you seen from him? Uh, and then I'll ask you about R.J. Melendez coming up here. But uh, what have you thought of Andre as he kind of puts himself in here? I mean, Purdue can't stop him. you got to give him no. that. Like, they can't stop ball screens, and that's where he is so good. There's just not many college basketball defenses that can keep him out of the paint. Uh, and that's such a luxury. And I'll say this about Andre Corbello. There is a big misconception about Andre Corbello. Andre Corbello is a scoring guard. Um, he, he is. He's a scoring guard that, that makes some amazing passes. And I think he's going to need, you know, he can get downhill on anybody. He can get past anybody. He can pro better than anybody. He can, you know, he can get into the paint better than anybody. I think his next step as he continues to, to you know, to round into form and get his legs back under him, right now the easy thing for him is, is scoring. That sounds crazy because scoring is not easy for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I always, I always make the comparison where, you know, think about, think about like in gym class, right? You know, the, the, the people that kind of aren't, aren't comfortable, and I'm not saying Andre Corbello isn't comfortable, but, you know, it, it's just getting shots up. You know, they just get shots up. You know, they're not, they're not going to make those reads. It's what they do. And, like, when he's coming back, okay, like coming in, he's been much more scoring-oriented than he, than he was even previously. And I think he needs to find a balance there. You know, some sort of balance to where, okay, I'm getting downhill and I can, he can get into those 10 to 12 foot fadeaways, turnarounds anytime he wants, anytime he wants. But part of being a point guard is really coming in and saying, okay, how can I get Jake going? Right? Like, how can I get Jacob Granison going? Okay. If they're helping from the corner, hitting him, you know, and I thought 
he had a couple turnovers. Trent also threw it. I thought DeMonte had some moments last night or, or on Tuesday night where just flowing with the ball, getting to that corner, not standing. We talked about that in Kansas City a little bit, and it started to rear its head a little bit in that game where guys start to stand. Um, but I think for Curbelo, look, you see how talented he is end-to-end, how talented he is from, from that 10 to 12 feet. He's actually been shooting it a little bit better, a little bit more confidently, and that's going to be an interesting – development a little bit uh you don't want him to get carried away with it but yeah i mean if you're gonna help off of him in the corner drive and kick love that now like do you want him six times a game coming off ball screens and shooting threes probably not uh because part of what makes him good and trent's done a really good job at this trent's really excelled and developed in the way that he is making reads off of ball screens and throwing to the back action getting downhill guy helps in making those drives and kicks Andre's great with the, with the home run play. He just is. And he makes those, and those are ones that get clipped and sent out and mm-hmm. sports center top 10, whatever you want to call it. But making the simple reads, and I'm not saying he's not doing it because he is, you know, if he wasn't scoring the ball and not making the simple reads, now you're wondering kind of what he's giving you offensively. He's been shooting free throws well. He's been scoring. But if he can put it together and not come out of a game where he plays 21 minutes and has zero assists, then I, I think this, this Illinois offense especially hits another gear. Yeah, I, I'm firmly in the, the camp of, and I think you are too, Mike, of they need Andre Curbelo to hit another gear um, because he, he can just do things nobody else on this roster can. But th- but there are people that, that see Illinois, you know, the, the turnovers he'll have or some defensive issues he'll have, and they could make a case. I'm not making this case, but I, if they wanted to make a case that this team is better without Andre Curbelo, they could throw at me this. Illinois is four and five with Andre Curbelo playing. Okay, and in let's see, five of those games he has an O rating, offensive rating under like eighty. Okay, so what would you say to those people who who throw that at there? Because you know, like they're four and five, that's a true number. I would say two of those games are against Purdue. One is against Arizona. Um, the Marquette game you didn't have Kofi. The uh, let's see, Maryland game you didn't have Kofi, and turns out Andre Cabello had COVID. So I would put those things in there for nuance but if people want to make that case I guess they can at this point but I just think he needs to get into a rhythm he needs to figure out his team and once they do I think he'll be better but there are some doubters out there I'd imagine yeah and and we have eyes too you know it's not pretty all the time it it isn't And, and I think that's part of him still trying to figure out you know when you came in that was the big thing the first however many games of the season he played before he was out was I don't think he really knew who he was on this team. Uh, He knew who he was last year because it was pretty clear it was Io Kofi, and then he was just kind of that – he really was. He was kind of that third guy most of the time that could come in and change the pace. And and people loved him in that role, right? And then now I think he thinks he has to overhaul things. And you saw that against Marquette. You saw that in in some different games this year with some of the turnovers – where it's like, hey, you know, you may not be that guy right now, but that's fine. I think that one of the more underrated aspects of college basketball teams and, the, and what makes teams win and what makes teams lose is role identification. There's no team that does it better in the country than Wisconsin. You know, it's like part of the reason why they win is because you can achieve so much more when every single guy on your team knows exactly what they're doing, who they are. It, it just makes you that much more dangerous. It was actually Wisconsin's downfall last year. They didn't they didn't really know who yeah. who was who. Was it Dimitri Trice? Was it Potter? Like, who's the guy here? And there's just all this imposter syndrome all over the place. And for Curbelo, I think it's a little bit similar where it's, okay, I'm scoring. Like, he, he's, he comes back, he, he's scoring a little bit more. Um, but you're a point guard. And if you're going to be – if you're going to run a lot of high ball screen stuff, then you have to figure out a way to get these other guys involved. And that's not to say, hey, man, stop scoring because you can do those things. And part of his scoring and downhill nature is going to draw attention. But it's just thinking the game in a sense where it's like, you know what? I'm coming into the game, and I know that this team, when Jacob Grandison and DeMonte Williams and Trent Frazier are going, we don't lose many games. So how can I help there, right? If you need me in moments like the end of the Purdue game where you need someone to kind of take over and get to the basket and and put it in the hole, he can do that. And he's proven he can do that. But these other guys need to be feeling good, yeah. and they need to be involved. And it's on the point guard to to do those things, right? And, and Trent, that's you know, that's what Trent. Like I said, he's gotten so much better at that. Uh, and part of it too is is making shots. You know, those 
those guys are two for 14. Grandison Williams Frazier, two for 14 from three. And I know Curbelo probably had a couple of those swing passes and they make a couple threes per yeah. Curbelo by a four assists. And we're saying like, Oh yeah, like 15 points, four assists, pretty good. Um, but you want to see him actively doing those things and looking for it. And, and, and he may be, and then maybe just shots aren't going in, but for a point guard of his caliber, it, it needs to be obvious sitting there watching like, man, he is seeking his teammates and, and wanting to get them involved. Cause he knows if those guys are hitting their apex and this team does. All right. So RJ Melendez, before this recent four-game stretch, two minutes over six games. Last four games, 37 minutes. Now, all of his points against Purdue are in garbage time, right? But you're given that you given that garbage time, and he did something with it. And Brad Underwood also just threw him out on Jaden Ivey in the first half. And I, I've, I've been interested, Brad Underwood, the, the game against Northwestern, you're down five. And you just throw Brandon Podjemski and R.J. Melendez in. It's kind of like the sink or swim, right? And give those guys credit. Luke Goody against Michigan State did this too. They have sw- they swim, right? They, they doggy paddle sometimes, but they find a way to stay above water and, and help their team. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, Mike, 10 being ridiculously excited, how excited should Illini fans be about R.J. Melendez right now? 11. <laughs> I, I mean, and the, reason, and the reason why, and I don't want to just be like, drinking the kool-aid here but he he is somebody that this team has not had and when i say that it's a six seven guy that can shoot it athlete great in transition can guard who's the last illinois player that's been like that um you know it, it's, it feels like it's been a long time since there's been that type of guy like he is a guy that is you projected out the way his game is so polished he can score the heck out of the ball you see him come in to the missouri game and Dude, that is just not easy. Like you've been sitting all game. You're cold. You're you're like your fingers are cold. Your feet are cold. And like he's just a he looks like just kind of a natural born scorer who can get to where get to the spots. Right, he gets to his spots. And um, there should be a lot of excitement around this kid. And, and that's not to say hey now now hold him in regard of like an NBA lottery pick because I do think down the road he projects as an NBA type player. He can handle it. Right, he can shoot it. And I'll show some stuff in the film. He may be the best defensive rebounder Illinois has. I, I truly said when it's, when it comes to really going and getting it, it is like he has some defensive rebounds, and he had one in the second half against Purdue, where I literally was like, "Whoa!" I turned I turned to Joey and gave him like, "Wow!" Because it's been a while since we've seen a guy just go sky and grab it, and he can run it up there if he needs to, right? Like it's there's flashes of of brilliance there, but he plays like a freshman sometimes, which should be expected. Yeah, and I think I think the next step for him, and he's shown that he is willing to stick his nose in there. But on a Brad Underwood team, it's just hey, you, you always got to be willing to do the tough stuff all the time. And I think a lot of times that's the biggest transition for freshmen. Any freshman, um, that's the hardest thing. Like, whoa, if I want to get on the court, it's not just about putting the ball in the basket. You know, it's not just about flying around getting rebounds. Like, if you you have to do those tough things. And these freshmen will come along and and continue to do those things. And R.J. Melendez, seriously, like he, I think Brad Underwood mentioned, and the word that you can use is, like he's he's going to be a star. Like he is, he's going to be a star. Um, well, two of drinking the Kool Aid, I love it. I just I just think with the when you look at this team yeah. and what they could potentially lose, I man, to be able to have a guy like R.J. Melendez, who, you know, and I know there were a lot of people that were excited about Coleman Hawkins. And I know he's had a rough go of it. And I've said it before, it's not an easy position to be in. Um, but having a guy like RJ Melendez who can soften the blow of some departures, then, you know, you go out and you go to transfer market, whatever, and then a lot of these guys develop. He's a guy that I, I truly believe you're going to see, he may end up this year playing six minutes a game, right? But that's, that is going to skyrocket. It may end up skyrocketing towards the end of the season the more that he gets confident. Because if you see Brad Underwood, putting that guy in. It's the same thing with Billy Donovan and Iota Sumu. If you see him putting a freshman in on Jaden Ivey, there is a lot of trust there, and there's a lot that that coach likes, and I think it's for good reason. Just to make the comp, I I think, you know, people were excited about Coleman Hawkins, the idea of him, right? I do think we've seen way more flashes out of RJ, right, than, than we saw out of Coleman last year. So, yeah, my expectations for for RJ would be much higher than than even Coleman coming into this year because you hoped Coleman could be could be that four, but now you have RJ already kind of stealing it feels like Coleman's minutes. Yeah, and, and RJ too, it's it's a mixture of a lot of things. It's 
you know, when you look at some of the things that he does on the floor and how natural it looks, and a lot of that is just like his length and his athleticism. And um, like they, I, I mentioned the word natural. That's just, that's just what it is with him. Um, it doesn't look herky-jerky. It looks fluid. He's a very fluid athlete. You know, that, those are the types of things that project, right? And those are the types of things that translate. And then it's just kind of a matter of, hey, I throw you in against Northwestern, him and Podjemski. Part of the reason is just when you're a freshman, there's, you're still kind of coasting off that high school confidence. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, and then you have this kind of irrational confidence. It's, it's typically, it's almost like Coleman Hawkins in a sense. It's the sophomore year tends to be the time where you can get beaten down a little bit because you think, hey, I'm a freshman, I'm a freshman, I'm a freshman, I'm going to turn the corner and this guy's going to leave and this guy's going to leave. And then all of a sudden, it's not the way you thought. And then you really lose confidence in that second year. RJ Melendez right now, these freshmen, you see, they just thrown in. They're like, yeah, no, we can hoop. <laughs> and it's, it's really, really cool to see. But yeah, like there's certain things for him that just look fluid and look natural. And man, there aren't many defensive rebounds that guys get where you're just kind of blown away. I, I'll pause it. I mean, anyone that sticks around for the film session, I'll pause it. His head is like above the backboard. And his arm, I don't know what his wingspan is. It looks like it's seven foot. Near, it looks like it's near seven foot because he's the way he snares some of those rebounds. Like his, it's almost like it's like Inspector Gadget. Like he just kind of like sticks his arm in there and just pulls it out. And man, I could go on and on about RJ Melendez. And I know we're, we're talking about a kid that played 10 minutes against so, Purdue. And so that would be my follow up question. I am excited for the long term of RJ Melendez. There's, there's some fans that want 20 minutes a game. What, like what, what do you think is, is his role moving forward? I, I think he'll – I really do. I, I think he'll creep up to the 14-15 range um, depending on game script. And if he – I mean, he comes out and hits two threes as soon as he gets in, makes a couple defensive plays. You may see a game where he plays 21 minutes. Um, but the reality is with this team, DeMonte, Jake, Plummer, Frazier, you know, you go on that list, Curbelo, Kofi – you can't just start buying minutes, right? Mm. You know, it's the minutes are what they are for a lot of these guys. And some of that is just kind of giving him this, this confidence and burst, which may be good. And I think sometimes you can protect the freshman in that way where you're not like, Hey, let's throw you for, to the wolves for 30 minutes and expose you a little bit. Cause there are, you know, there's just certain guys. And even I think Andre Corbello in a certain way falls under these, this umbrella where, yeah, he may, he may look better in 12 minutes than 30 minutes. As crazy as it is to say, you know, he, there's certain guys that are just better in spurts, that are just better in, in small doses in a sense. And I think for a guy like Arjun Melendez, that's what you're going to see this year. What happens beyond this is who knows? Um, because the other thing you got to look at defensively, you know, I, I still think there's, there's room for improvement off the ball, right? He gets caught underneath the basket and guys that are coming off screens, he's still working through that. But I think he's moves his feet well on the ball. Uh, but three, three fouls in 10 minutes – I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing for freshmen. I remember my freshman year, we played against Alabama State. It was one of the first games. I was in the rotation. I was playing. I like, looked up midway through the second half. I'm like, how do I have four fouls right now? <laughs> that's like, because that's what's going to happen. Arjun, like, these freshmen will get targeted. Um, you know, certain things will be ran at them. It's that you don't get as good of a whistle. You know, a, a reach in for RJ Melendez is different from a reach in for Trent Frazier. It just is. Um, was that a foul? On, on RJ Melendez when he reached on Jaden Ivey up top? I don't know. It wasn't on DeMonte Williams. When DeMonte Williams, like, bear-hugged him in the second half, they didn't call that. So it's a real thing. So, no, I think those minutes do creep up to 14-15. To and part of that isn't just his offensive package. Part of that's because he rebounds at a high level. Yeah. And I think that's what this team needs right now. So you're going to steal a few minutes from probably some other people, but it, it's certainly not going to pass 20, uh, I would imagine. But he's going to have some more here and there. Yeah, I mean, everything we, we thought about with, with Coleman, it's like, hey, they need length. They don't have anybody like that on the roster. Well, maybe RJ uh, can be that guy for those kind of minutes. And and uh, he's responded, man. I, I, he is worth uh, being excited about. All right, Mike, um, so you lose to Purdue. The defense had its worst half uh, of Big Ten play. Probably chalk a lot of that up to Purdue, right? But, like, what, what can Illinois correct, learn? I know we'll dive into the film. But like, what are Underwood's points? Is it flush this game? We're ten and one against the rest of the league, or what can they learn from that? Well, offensively, it's it comes down to you just in those games you got to make shots, and I know that sounds like somewhat of a cop out or, or super simple, 
but in those games, you do. You know, you you really have the chips stacked against you when you're not making shots, playing against an offense like that. But you know, I'll, I'll say this too. There's just we've mentioned time and time again. You know, and I'm not I'm not singling out Alfonso Plummer um, because it's a lot of guys, and a lot of guys had some defensive lapses. Uh, but making sure that against a team like that, it just it does. It just has to be a full 40 minutes. It does, and, and you cannot have five to seven minute stretches whether that's dry spells on the offensive end or you know and then those happen but defensively you can always find ways to stay focused and locked in and and Alfonso Plummer kept him in the game in the first half period he did um but those first couple minutes in the second half were tough and they went at him I mean they went at him they, the, the opener for the second half for Purdue was an Eric Hunter ball screen left hand going downhill and we'll get into the Spain action that they run and why they make it difficult but uh, those are certain things where if I'm Alfonso Plummer, it's just, you know, and we mentioned in the film breakdown of Alfonso Plummer going into the year was it, it's not a capability ability thing. It's, it's a focus thing. It is. And like, there's times where he, you know, he can just kind of get a little uh, like spacey in a sense would kind of be the, the, the best way for me to describe it. And, and if he can turn a corner there, I know we're getting into mid February here. I know we've been talking about it for a lot of the season, but he's shown in flashes and, and maybe this game is a wake-up call where it's like hey man you can do all the amazing things offensively but if you don't guard and if you get lost and if you don't pitch in rebounding then this is not going to look good and um but yeah I mean I think you look at the film and there's certain things that you say hey maybe next <laughs> next time around when you play Purdue this is these are things that we can do but you know Purdue just makes it tough on you and, and I could talk about scheme and this and that, but it, I'll go back to what I said before the game. Both teams are going to have a good game plan. You just, you know, they are. Uh, it's it's a big, big, it's a massive Big Ten matchup. Uh, it's against two, it's two really good teams. Game plan. These are two one of the best, two of the best coaches in the country. Um, you know, I really thought like if Brad Underwood won that game, he have a legitimate case, and he, I still think he does if they win the Big Ten or or get close to to be a coach of the year, given all the illnesses and guys that he's had out. But game plan is going to be great. We know that. Great players. You just in, in those moments, and it's not an indictment on Trent Frazier. How, how could it be because mm-hmm. of all he's done this year? Um, but in those games, it, it, it's hard to have a tough offensive game and, and you know think that you're going to come out and win it. So you go back in, you, there's a chance you'll see them about a month from now. Yep. Uh, and there's a good, there could be a good chance you see them again in a month and a half from now. Um, or, or, or whatever that's going to be, a month and three weeks in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, we, you got to find ways to be creative, and maybe that's uh, more than six minutes for Benjamin Boston's Redong. And I don't want to come away from this saying, how do we beat Purdue? It's more Boston's Redong. Because, you know, that, that sounds insane, but there's certain things that he adds that helps, you know, shield things defensively, especially on the glass, that will allow this team to say, hey, now we just got to knock down some shots, and they're capable of it. So, I want to see another matchup against Purdue. Yeah. I think Illinois can get them, um, but they're a tough matchup for everybody. Yeah, in Indy, that would be electric uh, with those two fan bases that care so much about basketball. That'd be a lot of fun. All right, the, the upcoming week, Mike, as we get out of here, Northwestern, Rutgers, Northwestern at home, got to win. Rutgers on the road. The rack's a tough place to play, man, is uh, is Ohio State, and it's probably Big Ten title hopes found out uh, last night. Uh, but those are two games, if you want to win a Big Ten title, you got to win. Uh, so what's the key? You mentioned the rack. I mean, we talk about Indiana. I know, like, historical Big Ten, Indiana, Purdue, Mackey. Rutgers is in the Big Ten now, and the rack's probably a top three toughest place to play in the Big Ten. Why? Um, I don't know. I, I remember we – the everybody probably remembers the the NBA 2K three-overtime game, NBA 2K stat lines that were in the three-overtime game in 2016 – um, I was redshirt in that year. It was a classic, was, Mike. I was, I've been talking about that game for six years. It was just Yeah, it's like so you look good. at the, the, the stat sheet, like, makes no sense. It's like, you know, Malcolm has, like, 35 and 14. Mav has, like, 26 and 12. J- Coleman Land six, six, hits six threes. Corey Sanders has, like, 39, 12, and 9. And then we go into three overtimes. That gym, it's small, for one. Uh, so small equals loud most times. It's hot. You know, it's just like, I, I don't know if it was just the game we played there. I, I only went out there one time 
the whole arena smells like bus fumes. Like it's just, it, it's, it's a weird place to play. And you know, the crowd's kind of right on top of you in a sense. Uh, it's an odd layout. And uh, you know, I, I just think there's certain things, there's certain places that you play. It's almost like the really aesthetically pleasing, beautiful, you know, the shot or Nebraska's arena, you know, all those are actually pretty easy places to play in. I know Illinois has kind of had some shaky Nebraska mm-hmm. trips, but you know, some of those, some of those arenas are, you know, you feel comfortable, you know, the NBA arenas, like, they're just like, Oh, this is beautiful. Like, every, like the, the crowds nicely spread out. Um, but some of these weird funky places like the rack where it's an odd structure and guy, you know, students are kind of right on you. It makes it tough. Um, but also they just, they, they play with a different edge at home. And that's the one thing. And, you know, you go back to Piscataway last year, Mulcahy won that game for them. Um, you know, DeMonte gets the flavor and foul. They kind of lost their heads. Corbello was turning it over, fouls out. You know, like there, there was just certain things that happened in that game. And then also, I, I forget what the score ended up being. I think he gave up 92 points in that game. I, it, was, it was insane what they did defensively um, and, and how Rutgers played. But in Northwestern, too, Northwestern is, has proven, you know, 59-51 or 58-51, whatever they beat, um, you know, whatever they beat Indiana by, they're, they're down for a slugfest. Let's, let's go. Let, let's play in the 50s. And that's, that's part of the reason why they almost got you in Evanston. So you're, you're going to want to make shots. Keep going to the big fella for sure against a Northwestern team. But if you want to beat Northwestern and beat them enough to where you're not hanging around and at the last media saying – man, they're still right within four points. You got to make shots. Uh, you just have to. So, you know, I, those, those are kind of the two things for Rutgers. Rutgers, you got to bring, bring the edge for both games. But Northwestern, for sure, you're going to the big fellow. It's what worked in Evanston. Uh, and, and then you got to have a little bit, you know, that wasn't Trent's best game either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so hopefully he has a little bit of a bounce back there. Uh, so knocking down shots, obviously, but finding ways to create those open looks it's going to be through the big fella it's going to be hey if we're going to run some high ball screen stuff with Andre Corbello in we got to be looking elsewhere if you can get downhill and get a point bank layup great we can have the turnarounds and the floaters anytime we want but let's get other guys involved let's get DeMonte feeling good let's get Jake feeling good and and you know that that's going to put you in a position not only to beat Northwestern but get to Rutgers do all those things and the hard stuff and you know, two no week here. I know Northwestern Rutgers doesn't. It's not a, the two eye popping teams, but those are these would be two huge wins when it comes to not only just NCAA tournament, but Big Ten race. I mean, you're mm-hmm. right there, and I fifteen and five is probably going to do it. Yeah, and, and Purdue's got at Michigan, right? That's not going to be an easy one. Um, and, and Wisconsin, they just keep winning. <laughs> they just they just keep winning, but they're at home against Rutgers at Indiana. Uh, they got one of the easier schedules, but they still got Purdue at home, Michigan at home as well. So you just got to keep putting pressure on those teams because they'll keep putting pressure on you. Uh, I, I do want to ask you about the NBA trade deadline, Mike, because we're kind of watching this and it, it just expired. Uh, ben Simmons for James Harden gets done. Seth Curry also going uh, to Brooklyn. I love this basketball deal for both teams. Uh, yeah. I, I just think Brooklyn becomes more, at least on paper. We got to know how Simmons and Irving and all of it work. But on paper, all of those pieces work. Seth Curry gives him a shooter to fill in for Joe Harris. And then Philadelphia, like James Harden is, is not what he was a couple of years ago. But if they can engage Jim, James Harden along with Maxi and, and Tybal and, and Harris and, 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 of course, Embiid, the, maybe the MVP of the league, I think those teams – could win the East, though. I, I'm not counting on Milwaukee yet, but um, I like it for both teams. It's weird that both teams made each other stronger as they're trying to win the East. Both teams got better. I, yeah. I think you're right. I would I would honestly say the Nets probably got even more, got even better um, than the 76ers because it, it'll be interesting. I, I want to see how that fit is with Embiid and with Harden. But you know with a guy like Simmons, and I know there are a lot of question marks around what's he going to, you know, who's he going to be? What's he going to be? The thing that he knows that he's not is the, he's not one of the best two players on that team. And that's fine. I, I think Ben Simmons as a third option is really good. The guy's an all-star. He's a top five defender in the league. I think that's what people forget. His floor is first team, all NBA defense. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and it's a really good playmaker. So I think a lot of teams would take that. I think we all get caught up in the passing up on a dunk against the Hawks type of stuff, but you know his long like his career as a whole proves that 
he, he's a good player. And I, I'm a fan of Ben Simmons um, in terms of his game and what he brings. And um, I was waiting for somebody to deal for him because I think it would make their team better. And this Nets team in general, and I, I truly believe this, there are two key pieces to this trade. And it's probably the reason why it happened. Um, and it's part of the reason why one guy was probably left out of the trade. And they're both pretty much similar players. And now they get to play together. I believe, just, just a thought on my end, the, the person that made this trade possible and the reason this all went down was Seth Curry. I think that Sean Marks said, you got to give him, you got to give us Seth Curry or we're not doing this. Um, Simmons, sure. You know, a couple other ancillary pieces, sure. But I think it was Seth Curry. And the reason why this was going out throughout the week is I don't think Daryl Morey wanted to give him up. Yep. And, and that's part of the reason why Patty Mills wasn't involved in the deal. Because I think Sean Marks probably holds Patty Mills in the same regard that probably Daryl Morey holds Seth Curry. But the reason why Patty Mills is still in Brooklyn is he was dis- it was not probably non-negotiable because Steve Nash has mentioned what Patty Mills means to that locker room. And I think with a team that has you're bringing in Simmons, you got Durant, you got you know Durant kind of goes to the beat of his own drum. We know for sure Kyrie Irving goes to the beat of his own drum. So right now you're in a situation where you keep Patty Mills, good locker room guy. And oh, by the way, you just added the best. I say this. I know his brother is the best shooter ever, but by percentage, Seth Curry, I believe. I don't know if I don't I think he's still above Steve Kerr. I'm pretty sure he's the best three-point shooter percentage-wise in NBA history. So you got him. You got Joe Harris coming back from this ankle injury. You got Kevin Durant, who's one of the best shooters in the NBA, right? And you got Patty Mills and you got Kyrie Irving. So this team, and now you got Simmons and you surround him with all these shooters, which is the exact reason why it's almost like, hey, you know, if Draymond Green wasn't a thing, Simmons would probably be really great in Golden State. Would be really great for the Warriors. You know, he's going to need to play on a team that has space. And that's exactly what this Nets team offers. And, you know, as we were sitting here doing this podcast, I was borderline (laughs) distracted because it was just, you know, Dennis Schroeder, you know, yeah. is getting traded. And, and, you know, all these guys are getting sent elsewhere. And that's what you love, right? There was, there was a point during the NBA tread down. You're like, man, is the best thing we got Sabonis going to the Kings? Like Dante DiVincenzo and Marvin Bagley headlining a four-team trade. And then you get just fireworks. You know? yeah. And now you got Woj dropping Woj bombs that aren't even actual deals. It's just – teams that aren't dealing anybody he just he just put out a tweet that says no deals for the knicks sources tell espn yeah um and i think he's just going through every team jeremy grant staying still or mm-hmm. staying still which I, I would have been a really great fit for the bulls in my opinion if they could have pulled it off but i want to ask you that i want to ask you that mike uh, they're the one team in the east that didn't make a move of course you have lonzo coming back you have caruso coming back patty patrick mills or williams sorry is, is coming back at some point um I, I get it. If you're the Bulls, do you want to, knowing what the East is right now, which Brooklyn and Philadelphia got better, uh, you have a two-year window here with Vooch and, and DeRozan to compete, but you feel like you get those guys back, maybe you can, but they also don't seem to want to mortgage the future and think the upside of trading a Patrick Williams for Jeremy Grant or Harrison Barnes, it just it, it isn't as good as, say, hey, we'll just add a, a buyout guy, whether it's Goran Dragic or some big uh, that can help him out a little bit. Uh, they just didn't see enough upside in the short term to, to get rid of somebody. Obviously, they really like him, Patrick Williams. Yeah, I think right now they're they're probably playing the game of let's hold the fort down. We got some guys coming back from injury. We're in a good spot. Patrick Williams, hopefully, obviously, at some point, is coming back but it, it's funny there's there's one guy that he actually got dealt today that i was like man he'd actually be a pretty solid piece and it's thad young like, yeah. right like I, I think he'd actually you know I, I know he doesn't offer exactly what patrick williams offers in terms of the upside but you know just the dependability and 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 what he the, the problem do. is because they traded him in the derozan deal the only way they could have gotten him is if thad young got traded and he was cut but it seems like um, who's the team that got him from the Spurs? Raptors. The Raptors. The Raptors are probably going to keep him, right? Because they gave up a first round yeah. for him, I imagine. Yeah, no, they're going to keep him, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like a Thad Young would have made sense. Great. It 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 doesn't make sense, and it it couldn't happen, obviously, because he was involved in that DeRozan trade. But yeah, no, I I think you look at a team and, and the congratulations, Bulls fans. You may end up getting a one or two seed, and here you go you're playing the Brooklyn, the four seed Brooklyn Nets, right. You know, to try to get, to try to get to the, to the conference finals. And that's the thing. That's, what's really interesting about this Nets team. Um, it, it's the fact that, okay, 
you're in a situation where they're the, I believe they're the eighth seed right now. Yeah. Um, they're gonna they're gonna make their way up. Okay. You know, and and I think as far as they fell in these past three and a half weeks, they can rise probably just as fast over these next you know however many months that the season's lasting. They can end up. They, they can probably honestly with how close things are, they could probably get back up to a a one seed. Um, you know, if, if they really turn things around. But you know, I I think it's unfortunate for for the Miami Heat, for the Chicago Bulls, for the Milwaukee Bucks, Cavs. the Cavs, you know, have this great year and, you know, they, they go out and get Karis LeVert, their win now, and now you got the Brooklyn Nets lurking with, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and Seth Curry and Patty Mills and Ben Simmons, and they may be a team that, you know, I, I don't know, I correct me if I'm wrong, I, I thought Kyrie Irving the whole the whole big thing was that if the Nets got the one seed, that he could only play. I guess only uh, um, he can only play a certain amount of games in the series, uh, which I, I believe would only be what three. Uh, I guess he would only be able to play the three road games because he can't. Can he play in Brooklyn now? Uh, not yet, but they might lift their vaccine mandate at some point, right? So like, right, I, now, I, I, like yeah. right now, if they lift that, which everything seems to be getting lifted right now, uh, which is a great sign, right? Like all of a sudden, he's available for all of the games, right? So all of a sudden, Brooklyn stock way up. <laughs> and then, and then even if they don't do the vaccine mandate or, or they don't get get rid of the vaccine mandate, now you got Kyrie Irving as a potential four seed who now in, in the conference semis, you're playing against the Bulls, and now he can play four games in Chicago and only three ga- and, and miss three games in Brooklyn. So I'm not saying that was their plan because that would be just an absolutely egregious plan to have. But uh, the NBA, it's, I, I almost feel bad. I mean, the people that, that – refuse to watch the NBA or think it's not good basketball for whatever reason. They had this 20-year-old just... notion of what the NBA is, right? Yeah. Like where it's like, listen, I, after after Jordan retired and all that, and, and NBA was was brutal. Like when Jordan was there, it was just a lot of physicality. It became a lot of and one. Like there was a lot of and one influence in there. There was a lot of, you know, selfish basketball. It is beautiful ball now. Like I, the Harden stuff bothers me sometimes, but they're trying to get rid of that, like the following and all that. But uh, it is just such high-level athletes and skill right now in the NBA. The quality of player mm. in the NBA right now is is higher than it's ever been, and I'm not sure it's really close. You know, you have certain guys in this league that you know you transport them back to. You, know, you transport Donovan Mitchell back to 1990, and he's he's probably the best player in the league. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about just how, you know, whether it's modern technology and guys being able to recover and longevity and um, certain strength training things. And that's why I think you can never, you know, I know people tend to go back and watch the 1950s and 60s and say like, why is Bob Cousy just dribbling with one hand? And like, he would never play in the NBA nowadays. And it's like, well, I don't know. You give Bob Cousy or, you know, any of these guys like modern day, Technology and and strength training and it looks different. So it's, well, think, it's of, think of Joel Embiid. Like his body type is like Patrick Ewing, but his game is just so much better. Like and Patrick Ewing's a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest one of the greatest basketball players ever, right? Especially when you include college. Like Joel Embiid is just at a completely different level. And, and he, the thing I think the thing I love about the NBA, especially now, there was this notion maybe four years ago where it's like. Big men are eradicated. There are no more big men. And now you talk about the two leading MVP guys right now are, are Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. Uh, you know, it's like turning into, it's not necessarily a big man's league, but it's a skilled big man's league. Uh, you know, like if you're a certain guy, like Nikola Jokic, there's nobody in the NBA that has more touches per game than Nikola Jokic. And how you, you now see the shift of a guy that can truly orchestrate an offense at seven feet, right? And, and and he's not a guy that breaks you down off the dribble. So how does that happen? And it, it's just fascinating the way that a lot of these, you know, NBA team, and it's funny, a lot of these college basketball, you watch college basketball and there's certain plays that are ran and you're sitting there saying, man, that's beautiful. You know, the, the Spain action that Purdue runs, we'll break it down in the film. It comes from the EuroLeague. The NBA adopted it. The Suns run it all the time with Chris Paul, Booker, and Aiton. And college basketball starts using it. There's a lot of trickle down that, that, that beautiful basketball that you see in college basketball 
a lot of it is comes from the NBA and sometimes will come from the Euro league in Europe. So, you know, it, I mentioned the quality of player and man, uh, John Morant's going to put his, you know, put his, his name in the, in the hat for, uh, you know, for MVP. And, and it's been amazing to see his, how he's exploded and you still got Steph Curry and LeBron James is, you know, doing what he's doing and in, in year 19 and, uh, it's a really exciting time to be an NBA fan and the NBA trade deadline. It reminds me, it's like free agency. Mm-hmm. Like to me, my, one of my favorite parts of the year is NBA free agency. It's the best. Like it's the absolute best. I, there's, I, there's no year, drama. There's no drama. Like uh, the NBA moves. Like it, no, and, and I'm an NBA, I'm an NBA nerd. I, I, since I was five years old, I've done mock drafts. I'll write down all my mock drafts. And just in the last like six years, I'll write down every single unrestricted, free agent and free agency and just kind of guess fit and where they end up and go back and see how many of them actually happened and that type of stuff's fun and I think there's a lot of drama in the NBA and I think it's it's fun to follow man yeah and here's the other thing I think uh, a lot of college fans get um not all of them right but like some college fans feel like the NBA player is selfish is making too much money that's what they're worth, man. Like, who do you want taking? Who do you want making? You know, the, the billions of dollars this TV revenue is worth. Who do you want making it? The owner or the guy who's you know making all these tickets? Like Kevin Durant is worth probably a hundred million dollars per season. Like he's he's probably worth that. He gets paid like fifty or sixty million dollars, right? Like that. That's what these guys are are worth now. Um, and, and I just think, as you said, like if people think this is all like just one-on-one stuff yeah James Harden can do that but he also was one of the assist leaders right the Phoenix Suns the Golden State Warriors watch them play ball Milwaukee what a great team that is that's what I like what we're getting now Mike is how many teams you can actually see competing for a a championship like there's like six eight teams right now I think have a chance to win a championship I think that's what was bad about the NBA even though LeBron Golden State awesome to watch but like you knew who was going to be there at the end right now you don't know who's going to be there at the end yeah, and I think, like, I, I hear that all the time where it's like, oh, it's Cavs-Warriors again. It's like, I don't know how many times are the Patriots in the Super Bowl? You know, like, it's just, it, it happens in every sport. People just get a little bit more upset about it in basketball. Yeah. And, and even in basketball, it's like, you're complaining about it now, but what about the Celtics and Lakers? The other thing about basketball is, you know why it happens? Because they're the best teams. And, and the yeah, NBA, it just, it, the best teams win. Like, unlike and football I, and unlike baseball sometimes. And I'm a Warriors fan. Uh, and that sounds crazy. I was a Steph Curry fan at Davidson. So wherever he could have gone, the Minnesota Timberwolves had two chances to draft him. I'd probably be a Timberwolves fan nowadays. But he goes to the Warriors, and I suffered through some, some tough Warrior years. But, man, if you are just getting your feet wet and you're like, you know what, I'm going to go watch some NBA basketball, watch the Golden State Warriors. It's, and it's not only just the, the beautiful basketball that they play with, and it's not just Draymond Green and Iggy and, you know, Steph and Clay and these guys. They play hard, man. Gary Payton Jr. or Gary Payton II, um, you know, Damian Lee, all these guys. Otto Porter. I know Otto Porter. Otto Porter got trashed, you know, for his contract and with the Bulls and with the Wizards. And, man, he's going to – he took a small deal, right? He bet on himself and said, I'm going to go to the Warriors. And that's what the Warriors do. Like, you enter the Warriors factory and come out with more value like JaVale McGee did. I mean, a lot of those guys are like, oh, okay. Now Quinn Cook's staying in the league, mm-hmm. right? I know, he's, I know he's out now, but he got himself a contract with the Lakers. And that's what basketball should be about, development. And, you know, that's what you want out of your college basketball program. And that's what you see with some of these NBA programs. And, and Golden State is, is the biggest example of it. They take these laughing stocks like JaVale McGee, where you have this compilation on YouTube of him throwing the ball over the backboard, and he goes there and you're like, oh man, wait, he can help us win a championship because he protects the rim. He's a lot threat. And, and he is, he's a good teammate. And he goes and he wins one with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And, and what team is he playing for right now? The Phoenix Suns. So, it, you know, it, it's amazing following those things and seeing like, man, this is what's valued in the NBA. And this, like the cream rises in the NBA. Like there are no, you know, imposters in the NBA. It's just, if you are good, you will rise. And you mentioned James Harden. There are certain things defensively that I can't stand about James Harden, but there you you will be hard pressed to find a more offensively talented player in the NBA than James Harden. It's yeah. it is unbelievable what he does. Best one on one player of all time, probably. 
right? All time. Yeah. Yeah. Him, him, Kevin Durant are, are up there where it's just, you kind of have no defense for it. I, I think, you know, isolation. Yes. I still stand by the fact that fully all encompassing offense in general, Steph Curry is the best offensive player of all time, just because of the chain reaction mm-hmm. of what he, what he brings. I mentioned on the pod, like their net rating during his slump and out of his slump is the exact same on offense because of the open shots he gives all his teammates. Andrew Wiggins. I didn't even mention Andrew Wiggins. He goes to the Warriors, and he's an all-star. He's an all-star starter. starter. <laughs> so, you know, and he's shooting 41% from three, and a lot of that is the Warriors, and a lot of that's Steph Curry. So I go on and on about the NBA, but it, it, is, it is such an amazing product. Um, and I know, like, if the, you know, Celtics play the Hawks one night, you're, you know, on, on TNT – you're not going to clear your schedule because you, in your mind it's a meaningless NBA game. But if you truly watch it, man, like the, the switching, the rotating, like it's the reason why you don't – like you may not notice it, it's because it's just so seamless. Mm-hmm. And there aren't many defensive breakdowns. So offense has to be that good. And for a lot of these guys, it is. And I'll, I'll tie it all back to Purdue, Illinois. You can have really good defenders like Trent Frazier. You can have really good defenders like DeMonte Williams. Better offense wins. Some you know most times it does. It, it can beat better defense, and we saw that Tuesday night in Mackey, and that's typically what you see in the NBA. Our talking ball with Michael Tulip. I love it. Uh, thanks as always, man. Uh, we'll catch up next week with uh, two must-win games for Illinois if they want to win a Big Ten title. They got Northwestern Super Bowl Sunday matinee, and then Rutgers at the rack uh, mid next week. Mike, we'll talk to you next week. Always appreciate it, man. Awesome. Thanks, man. Kind of lost track of time, uh, to be honest with you, when uh, I was chatting with Mike. So hope you enjoyed that. A little bit of extra NBA on the back end of this. Uh, but love talking hoops with Michael Tulip, and hope you do too. And don't forget, the VIP film room breakdown is is great. Breaking down what went wrong defensively against Purdue and, and just where you tip your cap to uh, the Boilermakers, who are very, very, very good. All right, thank you for listening to the Line Enquirer podcast. As always, give us a follow, a rating, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Again, check out Line Enquirer for all the latest uh, on Illinois. Joey Wagner caught up with Tommy DeVito and T-Raw Edwards, the latest transfer. So if you want to hear from Illinois' new quarterback and new defensive lineman, uh, he'll have some pieces up on that. Uh, Derek Piper with more big-picture takeaway from Purdue, and he'll have the official visit primer for a five-star prospect. Visiting Illinois, Kylan Boswell. He'll break that all down uh, coming up as well at IlliniInquire.com. Everybody, have a great day. Take care of each other, and we'll talk to you next time on the Illini Inquirer podcast.